0: Uh how are you Chris? What are you doing today?
1: Well, took Henry for a nice big long walk. Ate some breakfast and now here I am. What about
0: you? I went for a nice 10k run uphill both ways. No, it was only one way uphill. Cuz that's how gravity works. That's um, how hills work. It's true. Beautiful sun, clear skies. It was a lovely day. But then after my run, it clouded over, it's overcast. Not cold, but I'm still not getting the warm weather that everyone promised about six weeks ago.
1: Well, we're finally getting the cold weather because it is November in the Northwest. And we have sunshine, but it was high 30s when we went for the walk this morning.
0: Are you still doing cold plunge?
1: We have not for a while. My last one was in October, though I think there is some movement afoot to get
0: it started again. Very cold. We have a pool on the roof. And again, it's not warm here. I was thinking this morning, I could do a cold plunge just on the roof. Not as beautiful as the one that we shared with all of you in Washington, though.
1: Emily and I were talking about the fact that when we do our next cold plunge, essentially the water temperature would not be much different than when we did this throughout the summer. Like the water temperature of the ocean does not change a great deal. If you remember how cold it was when we went. It's it was pretty be, chilly. Yeah, because we were talking about doing it at a lake and realizing that a lake will be far colder because that fluctuation of temperature
0: will be a lot more. Oh, definitely. Where is the lake that you would go to?
1: We have plenty of lakes on the island, probably Heart Lake or Whistle Lake.
0: Is it shaped like a heart? Or is there a it heart is. buried
1: at the bottom? Shaped like a heart and I believe... a. A ship shipwrecked and someone threw a necklace overboard. I don't know where that might be from.
0: I, I think I read that story. Maybe watched it in a movie somewhere. Sounds like a, a pretty gigantic movie. Like really, yeah.
1: really, really, really big. I think some people did some cold plunges in that movie. Some that lasted a really long time for one of the main characters.
0: I don't think it relieved anybody's depression in that case. I'm going
1: to say he's not depressed anymore. <laughs> Well, welcome to Opposite of Neutral. I'm Chris. I'm Evan. Evan Weinberg began this earthly pilgrimage in suburban Ohio. Since then, he's been an educator in New York City, China, Vietnam, and currently teaches in Santiago, Chile. I would come up with a fun fact about Evan, but there's not many to be had, so I'll just ask him a question. Evan, what was the last pair of shoes you bought?
0: I bought running shoes, Hoka running shoes. Very comfortable, very nice. And I think my first run on them was in California. Nice. Chris Wolfe taught social studies internationally for a number of years. I'm not going to go through all the countries this time because it's a new season. But let's just say a number of countries. But he has since moved back to the U.S. with his family and has had a number of jobs ever since arriving in the strange nation of the United States, including... Cross-country coach, substitute teacher, and produce stacking extraordinaire. All true. And actually, one more that I wanted to add. A one-time candidate for bike safety captain for the state of Washington.
1: Well, I put my hat in the ring, if you will. Unfortunately, you did not like my hat.
0: If Doug Burgum is a candidate, you're a candidate too. Who's Doug Burgum? Governor of North Dakota. Oh yeah, he's running for president. You know the guy. No, I don't.
1: I know nothing about the guy. And (laughs) I think that may hurt his chances quite a bit. Probably. But
0: they didn't pick him either.
1: For bike captain, bike safety captain.
0: That or the other job. I know which one I think I'd like. Bike safety. Yeah. That was the rest of my day today. I took Nora on a little ride up to a new playground and park, not too far away. And it had one of those merry-go-rounds. Not as dangerous as the ones when we were children. The combination merry-go-round and what had the spiderweb netting around the outside and on top, so you could climb and spin around. Super exciting.
1: That would be a fun fact about Evan. He finally has an electric bike and he's finally settled into Santiago, which actually brings us to our topic today, which is first impressions. So, first, Evan, Dunphy said, Phil Dunphy said, you have a first, only one chance to make a first impression. I suggest doing Julia
0: Child. That's fantastic. Great reference.
1: So, Evan, what are your first impressions of Santiago? I've heard hills. I have heard not as much warmth as you were expecting. Give a little rundown on the city of Santiago.
0: I would say that my first impressions of Santiago are are positive. On our first day here, we had an earthquake. We have had a number of them actually. I would say only three of them that you could really feel for 30 seconds or so. It's kind of exciting. Not scary. I would also say we are surrounded by mountains. When the air is clear, it's just mountain range after mountain range everywhere. It's a very vertical place. Everything is on a hill pretty much, where we are at least, which is the reason we have the electric bike, to get around. The other first impression, just kind of walking around, people had told me that Chileans were very cold, not very friendly, and I found that very much not to be the case. Just going to stores and... Striking up conversations with anybody and everybody in Spanish. Like everyone was really friendly and wanted to tell me things and were very curious about where I was coming from and what I was doing. So it was, it was nice coming to a new place and having people be very, very welcoming and kind and at least marginally excited that there was a new person here.
1: Any gems that you gained from those conversations, any places that you discovered because of
0: that? There's a little cafe around the corner there's Pasteleria, a place to get smoked fish and cheese across the street. You know, these cute little shops that are nearby and just really nice people. I have a place to get my hair cut. It's Javier's place. Javier, they speak very fast Chilean Spanish. I have no idea what they're saying, although, you know, I try. They cut my hair. They do a good job. I pay them money and then I leave.
1: Evan, do you show them the same video you showed the people in Vietnam? About your hair,
0: that video that you're remembering was taken on the streets of New York. Yes, I used that video. All
1: right. So, Evan, I guess my big question for you is: How much stock do you put in first impressions? I'm going to go to another quote. The athletic director at the American School of Doha, Dave Farmer, a legend in his realm. He would give a talk to the students every time they traveled for a trip. His Sort of pep speech before you traveled. And the part that really stuck with them is you only have one chance to make a first impression. The idea being that when you walk in, you represent your school, everything you do is making an impression on people, and you have to make a good first impression. And that really stuck with kids because in our league, we had a sportsmanship award. And that sportsmanship award many times is more coveted than any other trophy there. And also the hardest to come by you have to really show strong level of character all the way through a tournament. And you only have one shot to make that first impression. And I think that really makes a lot of sense if you're going to be somewhere for a very short period of time. But overall, how much stock do you put in first impressions?
0: I actually have a very strong feeling in this, and that is that the idea of a first impression being that important is kind of bunk. We shouldn't be making an impression of somebody or something the first 30 seconds that we spend with it. That first impression about the students is the only impression that those students are going to be making because it's very possible that they will never be seen again in that place. Certainly not as the same students that they are at that time. If you're going to a basketball tournament as a ninth grader, you're not going to be back in that place or with the same people for a year. There could be a second tournament, but in the international school world, it's unlikely that you're going to be with that exact same group of students. So the first impression is the only impression. And in that case, if you have a bad experience and put on a, a bad show in that moment, people are not going to like you very much or have a good impression of, the school or of the particular group that's coming in. I think we need to give people more of a chance than a first impression often allows. I think we do make snap judgments because our brains were forced to. While maybe we're wired to make these quick assessments of what we're looking at, what's around us, I don't think that it's in our best interest to lean on these first impressions.
1: It's interesting you say that because we talked about our first meeting at one point in a previous episode mm-hmm. of this podcast. And I think you probably made a positive one because you are the kind of human being that has you know good manners and is, tends to be generally friendly.
0: Right? Oh, I'm nothing if not polite, Chris.
1: That Midwesterner in you is... Uh, <laughs> but I don't remember that first impression. It wasn't as if you stood out like, man, this guy is going to be... A great friend of mine, this is someone I'm definitely going to record a podcast with in the future, right? It's the impressions you build over time.
0: It's exactly that, built over time. You're going to have time to decide if this person is someone you want to spend time with. (laughs) It takes time. And there are stories of people coming together and saying, I knew it from the first second that we were going to be friends. But you also are looking at that moment with the luxury of lots of time to look back and say that snap judgment was a good one. We decided to stay together. But there are also examples in my life of people who took time. And there are lots of people who I didn't just happen to be in the same place with, who on day one, I've also been really good friends with. Do you have an example where your first impression was totally wrong?
1: And. I was thinking about that because as you made that comment about people you know, in relationships, we have to make the differentiation there. We have first impressions about people. We also have per- first impressions about things like some of the examples that I, I put down on my notes. I was thinking about TV shows. I was thinking about books. I was thinking about other things. And our first impressions there are different than, say, first impressions of people. So, if I think back, for example, my first impressions of my wife, when I first met her, I thought, oh, she's cute. Too bad she has a boyfriend. That was about as far as my line of thinking went. Years later, you know, we ended up together. But when I first met her, you know, I had a, that quick first impression where cute boyfriend, you know, sort of pushed her off to the side because it was not worth pursuing any. Sort of relationship there,
0: yeah. That was a judgment that you made. You said, "All right, first impression. Here's the situation. Boom, assessment made. Move on." But for whatever very very good reason, you continued to stay in touch, and I think it's fair to say that things worked out absolutely.
1: But I also remember one of those friends in middle school. He was hanging around the morning in homeroom, and one of the other kids and. Middle schoolers can be horrible to each other. I just want to point that out really quickly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And this friend, he was sort of like hanging around, didn't really know why. And someone else turned to him and said, you're a dick and nobody likes you. Go away. Oh, no. It was just absolutely horrible thing. At the moment, I was actually kind of relieved because the guy was just being super obnoxious. And... I was relieved when he went away. Later, we would become friends. But my first reaction was, good, thank goodness for this other person speaking up because I'm way too polite to say something like that.
0: And the idea of being polite, you want to make a good first impression. It's a lot of pressure not to be the person who comes in and trips on their first entrance into the room because then you become that guy or who says something stupid. It's a lot of pressure. The idea of walking into a room full of people you don't know, that's a terrifying experience. I think I'm an extroverted introvert. I do like meeting people. It takes a lot of energy to do it. And so walking into a room of new people, I can do it, but I also have to prepare myself. What is my intro story that makes it so that I don't come across as a jerk, but I want people to know the interesting stuff about me, maybe? What's something beyond just, oh, I'm Evan from Cleveland. I rarely introduce myself as Evan from Cleveland. Really? Because I always need...
1: call you Cleveland Evan.
0: Well, you have so many Evans for friends. You have to. It's a, that's a necessity. It's a lot of pressure to meet new people, especially if you believe that a first impression really matters. And one of the things that has relieved some of that pressure for me is to say, well, how long am I going to know these people? How well do I need to really make a first impression? Most of the time when I take the pressure off and say, you know, I think I'm going to know these people for a while, just be yourself. And then I am. The first thing I talk about for myself, it's usually not that well prepared. And maybe I come across as being incoherent or babbling or wandering in the conversation. But I'd like to think that the people who like that are gonna be the ones that kind of stick around, and the ones that don't, we can have a lovely professional relationship, and that's that. So have you had
1: a, a time when you've had a first impression of a person, you thought, I'm really gonna be friends with this person, and it just didn't happen?
0: I don't have examples of that. I have examples of people saying, well, you have to meet so-and-so, you're gonna get along so well. And then that pressure of the initial first meeting that it's almost like the person who wanted to force this introduction is almost disappointed, but I'm I'm coming up empty. I was trying to go through and think about these situations where the first impression mattered, or even that it was the reverse, where I hated them, or just something rubbed me the wrong way and I got over it. I'm kind of a long-game person when it comes to getting to know people, and that's why I don't really have first impression stories.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I can think of one person in particular where I thought we were going to be friends. Like we had hung out with like in groups of people. And I went over to their house at one point and we were hanging out. And they just turned on the TV and just like tuned me out. And I ended up being, okay, well, I guess I'll see you later. And realized we were not going to be hanging out together kind of friends. And sometimes we thought more of a friendship was going to happen. And it ended up not being that way. But overall, I think you're right. I think with relationships, you do have, as you said, a long game that really people you do connect with click with pretty well right away. And sometimes you don't. And by the end, that first impression doesn't really matter. We do think about things like job interviews, though. In a job interview, that first impression does matter.
0: I think it does. But how many job interviews have you been on?
1: Well, if you go to like a hiring fair, did you go into any international teaching fairs?
0: I have yet to go to an international teaching fair, so this has not been something that I've had to experience. In terms of job interviews, I haven't had that many, and I think maybe, maybe that's a part of it. Number one, I don't think I have a lot of horror stories of first impressions, but I also think the other part of this is me being who I am. I'm looking for the thing to like in other people. Like I'm looking for what we're going to connect over that could make us a lifetime friend. That's obviously not going to happen in a job interview, but I like job interviews for the possibility of just connecting with somebody else.
1: You talk about the interview and I realize I've having been on both sides. I remember having a job interview. I walked in trying to get my first teaching job and I walked into the room and I didn't realize that it was a huge panel. There was a parent, there was a student, the principal, the assistant principal, a whole number of teachers. At one point in the interview, they asked me what I was reading. And I said, the biography of Les Schwab. And since you're not from the Northwest, you don't know that Les Schwab is a tire magnet in the Northwest. Just <laughs> a silly thing. I picked it up while getting, buying a set of tires. I'd been looking at it and sort of was reading into it. And I said it. And as I walked out the room, everyone started laughing. I thought to myself, "I blew it. I blew it with that Les Schwab story." And I I followed up with some other stuff as well. But I went off the cuff because that's really what I was reading at that moment. Poor Chris. (laughs) But it turned out it was a laughter of relief. They said, "We found our person. This is the person we want in the job. This is the person who has some varied interests." Like because they also asked me. They said we, at the end of the school year, we do a field trip to Mount St. Helens, and I said that's so cool. Whereas apparently someone else had said, "Ooh, I don't want to do that.
0: Ooh, that's a deal killer."
1: Exactly. So it turned out the relief laughter. So either I knew I either nailed the interview or failed the interview, but I didn't know which one. I thought about okay, what was my first impression. Are they going to be talking about the Les Schwab tire guy for years to come? But having been on the other edge of the interview, they have like the prescribed questions that you ask. One time I asked someone who their favorite beetle was, and this is for a middle school science position. And the person got really angry. Like, how is this relevant to anything? And wow, you talk about the first impression. I'm like, middle schoolers are going to ask you irrelevant questions all the time. And that's how you react. You think about those things as part of the first impression. So for my first impression was, here's someone who shouldn't be working with middle schoolers. Was that correct? Was that incorrect? I don't know, because the person did not get the job, in part because we found someone better to answer the questions, but in part it was that first impression there.
0: Sometimes the reason they standardize questions in an interview is to make it fair, to make it objective, so that you're getting the exact same information from everybody. But if the questions are so dry and so unrelated. I mean, if they're actually unrelated.
1: That standardization is there to perhaps to keep us away from those snap judgments.
0: You have some familiar questions that you can get from everybody. And so since you're getting those answers from everybody, you have the same information to compare the five applicants to a job. But the random questions are what allow you to get beyond that basic information that does kind of level the playing field. And we haven't talked about the role of bias in first impressions and and where it comes in. And that's one more reason why we should be playing the long game when it comes to impressions. We need to get to know somebody. We need to be able to get to know who they are as people, even beyond just the job. Because I think people bring a lot more than just their experience to a job. They bring their personality. Ideally, you want someone to find something that they love in the work that you're doing with them. You want their personality to have a place in the work that they're doing. And while maybe you want the standardized question answers, I think it is those other questions that give you a bit more insight into who they are and what they might bring to a job. All right. I was thinking about Malcolm Gladwell and his Mm -hmm.
1: book, Blink. And he's saying that, you know, in that book, you need to trust your first impressions that we're actually pretty good with our snap judgments. And in the end, we tend to go with our snap judgments and then rationalize later. Like If I'm thinking back to that job interview about the guy who got really angry about the Beatles question, in my head, I might think, oh, this person's not fit for the job. It's probably my first impression that gave me that. I'm going to find something else, right? I'm going to find another reason. I'm going to look back over his earlier answers and say, oh yeah, I don't really like what he said about assessment or something like that. But really, it's going back to my initial first impression. But Gladwell also says that the way to overcome that is to have larger experiences, to expand your world so that your first impressions are now drawing upon not just your small, let's say, suburban Ohio experience, they're drawing upon New York City. They're drawing upon London. They're po- drawing upon your experience in Portugal. You're drawing upon all that other experience to make a first impression.
0: I think it does. It also makes sense that that in some of the interviews, or at least in some of the things that we have teachers do, it's not just the interview. It's having new teachers or, or, or new members of a department do a sample lesson. This isn't something that has ever been expected in the international world but it definitely was in the context of of new york someone you wanted to potentially come and teach would absolutely have to teach a class of of teenagers so that you could see them doing what they would be doing as part of the job maybe that is the idea of the bigger experience that you're talking about there but teaching a lesson on anything was one of the requirements for both programs that I applied for, both Teach for America and the New York City Teaching Fellows, you just had to teach something and show how you share an idea with a bunch of new people. And when you are making the choice of what to, what to teach, what to share, you are giving a bit of yourself. And that is a really great way to go beyond just, I'm looking at you and I just don't see you in front of a classroom of teenagers. Sorry, just doesn't look that way because of your answer to assessment. But it is important to have experiences other than the job fair, where the person making the decision on hiring has has the luxury of saying, you know, if I make a bad decision, I'm gonna have more opportunities. So part of the rationalization is the fact that you have more chances, which is sad, like, because everybody brings a unique perspective A unique experience because the world is filled with unique people and it's sad that we have to make these quick judgments of people i wonder about moving on to things here all right i'll start with the tv
1: shows because i'm thinking about the show friends and i'm thinking about that because with the death of matthew perry one of the things we did is started watching some of the old friends episodes again. And just sort of watching the, the comedy, starting with Matthew Perry, but looking at all the other characters on there. I remember my first impression of the show is I hated Friends. I hated Friends with a passion. And in fact, at one point, I even made the declaration that I would never watch a movie with a friend in it. That's how much I disliked the show. But then when Emily and I were living in a studio apartment, saving money, we we're going to go travel to Europe. But we were living in this studio apartment. We had a TV. We got one channel, and we could watch Friends reruns. And so we would sit and watch. And that's where I really got to enjoy the show. And so my first impression changed. Initially, I was watching like those episodes where the monkey in it. I won't go back and watch any of the the monkey episodes. But then watching, learning to love the show, rewatching later and for a while, not liking the show again because of the homophobic elements of it. The weird things about gender and homophobia in a way that makes it a little too cringy. But then with the death of Matthew Perry, going back with a sort of a loving understanding of the show and watching these characters and like there's some great physical comedy and really enjoying it again. So the impression constantly changing over time. So Friends would be one place that I would say, first impressions are wrong, Second impressions are probably a little bit wrong as well. And in a way, so, so were my third impressions. So now I'm on my fourth impressions of Friends. Do you like Friends? I
0: don't even know. I like isolated episodes. The things that would happen just self-contained within the episodes, them being goofy and, and just kind of the mundane, everyday stuff where they were just being funny together. My first impression being wrong example of shows would be Schitt's Creek. I did not like any of the characters in Schitt's Creek for all of season one, and because people said, keep going, I tried a couple more episodes of season two, and I just said, no, this is not how I want to be spending my time, and I had tons of people saying, you have to keep pushing through, and for me, I said, I have given this a chance based purely on believing that my friends have good taste, through an entire season, and then some. I don't like these people. But it wasn't until the pandemic when we said, you know, let's just try it again. We didn't start from the beginning. We started from where we left off. And from that point forward, I loved the show. And I've since watched almost the entire show again. I've loved it from the start because, I don't know, I guess I knew where it was going Or I knew that I needed to give those characters the time and maybe the trust that they would change into the characters that I actually started liking later on. And I'd agree with that one.
1: I didn't like that show for a while either. I think I was one of the people who told you to keep on pushing, that the show does get good, (laughs) that the heart of the show comes much later. And I think this may be a little off topic. There seems to be a trend right now of shows with unlikable characters that are... Good shows, think about shows like Succession. Like there's no redeeming characters in the show, and there's no redemption for the characters either. And what's the other one? The uh, White Lotus. Most of the characters mm. there, very little redeeming qualities for those characters, still a, a good show, but you have to go with it with different expectations, I would say. I really enjoyed White Lotus. But it's not because you like the characters. There's nothing likable about any of those characters.
0: Really? No, I, th- I think it was the B-roll that went between these terrible scenes that just said, whoa, that was a terrible interaction between two human beings. Look at the ocean. It's like, <laughs> what yeah. are the directors doing here? Wow. Yeah. It's like a palate cleanser. I don't know. The other thing I wanted to say about First Impressions, this is more of a societal thing that comes from a desire to know what people think quickly after they've just been filled in on a situation this goes into politics the intensity of people needing to give their take on something that's just happened or what's your take on the new iPhone what's your take on all the new stuff that came out from it, from OpenAI what's your take on Sam Altman being fired from OpenAI it's like slow down this just happened we don't actually need to come up with a sudden reaction to something. Give it some time. Let's think about it. Everyone wants to be the first to have a reaction. The first to say, oh, something was amazing. The first to say something was terrible. Oh my gosh, it's the worst thing. It's the best thing. This is gonna change everything. This was a theme of season one or of our podcast. It was slowing down, taking moments to kind of enjoy and ponder whatever it was we were thinking about, and how that was a better way to be. First impressions of situations. What is your take? What is your reaction? Whose side are you on? I was listening to an interview with President Obama about the Israel-Hamas war, and he was addressing the complexity of the situation and the fact that many things can be true at the same time. And the issue with a first impression is whether it's true or not. You're going to find out more information over time, and it's going to become more complex, without a doubt. It doesn't get easier when you go beyond the first impression of a person or a situation. I think
1: too often we have that first impression, and then we feel like we have to stick with it. We because we don't want to admit being wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Israel and Palestine has been popping through my mind many times during this conversation. And part of me just doesn't want to talk about it. I don't want Mm -hmm. my voice on the record because what I put down now may not be how I feel in a week. I mean, when the tragedy first happened, when Hamas attacked Israel and slaughtered the people, I mean, my heart was breaking for Israel. I also knew the next thing was my heart was going to be breaking for Palestine soon. And I was Mm -hmm. reading this morning in the New York Times about the thousands upon thousands of children who have died in Gaza, and it just rips me apart. And you don't know where to feel. These are far too complex for us to be making snap decisions about.
0: Absolutely. And it's not about choosing a side. I think it's possible to be on multiple sides at once and... If you have to show your checklist of your takes (laughs) on a whole bunch of things, that's not a situation anybody should be in. Humanity is complex, and we can get beyond the polarization. We can get beyond the one side or another, and we can simply state that this is hard. We should still be able to talk about the difficult issues that face us all as, as people.
1: Yeah. True, and I also feel a little bit of despair there too, because in the end, how I feel about Israel or Hamas or <laughs> Gaza does is not going to change anything in that situation. My True. feelings are not going to change anything, so in a way, I don't know if I silence my voice there because of that, but I do have to remember that me speaking my mind here may not change anything there but in certain situations maybe i shouldn't keep from expressing a belief in humanity or a sorrow for humanity as well
0: yeah you can have both of those feelings at the same time again it is complex we can be sad for israel we can be sad for gaza we can understand both sides and as much as our heart can support there's nothing we can really do sometimes than just try to be aware and try to listen to each other and try to understand. Absolutely. Well said. (sighs) I knew it was going to go there. (laughs) I'm glad you brought it up because I did not want to bring it up.
1: Should we light this up a little bit? Yeah. I want to talk about books really quick. Oh, yes. Because one of the things that people say is you can't judge a book by its cover. We're always being taught that, oh, we can't judge You know, we shouldn't be making snap judgments. We shouldn't be judging books by their cover. I remember as a middle schooler, though, at one point I decided I was going to prove that wrong. I was only going to read books with cool covers. So I Mm -hmm. went to the public library and I was drawn to the science fiction because the science fiction covers are way cooler than any other covers. All these books that looked super cool and decided to read books with the coolest covers on them decided and that how did that go? Maybe. Well, I can't remember the names of any of the books. Like I can remember some of the cool <laughs> covers. But over time, as a reader, I have a couple of rules for myself. One of the things I do is I don't judge books by covers. I do judge them by their first sentence. Open a book, read the first sentence, and decide whether I want to keep reading the book from there. I try not to read like hmm. Dusk Jacket or anything like that. But I also have a rule for myself that if I choose to read a book, have to read 10% of the book because some books are really not very exciting for a while. So I give it Mm -hmm. a chance. So if the book is a thousand pages long, I'll read a hundred pages and a hundred pages I can stop. Or if it's a hundred pages long, I will read 10 pages. And at that point I can make a decision. Sometimes I judge them by the cover, sometimes by the first sentence, but I always try to give them a chance. Maybe that's what we need to do with people too.
0: You will never know how long your relationship with the person is going to be until <laughs> they're gone. But your re- relationship it, may go on after you're gone too, right? Yeah, I maybe,
1: maybe yeah. You do think of people. I mean, during this conversation, I've thought of several friends that I have not really thought of much over time. I've thought of mm-hmm. students, you know, that maybe I haven't brought them up specifically, but they have informed my conversation with you. So. Yeah, maybe I haven't seen them for 20 years, but
0: they're still forming who I am today. But the spirit of your point, yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. I fully admit that I love me a good dust jacket. (laughs) A well-designed cover will grab my attention. I do like reading the first page. I think that's a great way to quickly understand the writer, if it's somebody that I don't know. And I like that 10% rule of the length of the book. I should start doing that.
1: I find sometimes if I really like a book, I will read it quickly, and then I will slow down at the end because I don't want it to be gone. I'm like savoring every word of that book, just like I savor every taste of Tillamook cheese.
0: I woke up and I knew exactly which shirt I was going to put on. It's from my Tillamook... Factory visit. Are you wearing it too, Chris? You're not. No, I I wore my goat shirt today. Greatest of all time.
1: Absolutely. That's what Tillamook is. The greatest (laughs) of all time.
0: There's some great cheese here. Fantastic wine. Great produce. Good seafood, I assume. The favorite thing that I have found here is fusion of sushi and ceviche. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Also... They were calling sausages choripan. And I'm like, is it a special kind of sausage? And then someone was patient with me and explained it is a combination of chorizo and pan. Choripan. bread. So you got your sausage in bread. That's right. Had a few of those. I don't know if I've told you this in conversation. One really fun thing, we had this day where we took all of the ninth graders to an outdoor park. And part of this experience was the students cooking lunch, and there was a barbecue. Now, I don't know if you remember, I remember times when our students were allowed to approach fire in Vietnam. Were those stressful times for you? Because they were for me. Yes. Okay, good. So I was having a similar sense of anxiety, and one of my advisees just said, Mr., we got this, and they proceeded to do an amazing job on the barbecue and It's just because it's part of the culture here. they see their parents doing it, they understand how to do it, and they're taught how to do it as part of family and so that was a really cool thing for me to see in the first probably couple of weeks here to just kind of say hey this this is a definite change from what I'm used to, and I like it that's awesome,
1: so your first impression of kids not being able
0: to handle fire was wrong. It very much was. So there's my example. It took me a long time to get there. Well, Evan, this has
1: been a great conversation. I can't wait till next week. Evan, what are we going to talk about next week?
0: Well, our next topic was inspired by an email that we received. It's actually the only email that we have received during the vacation in the opposite of neutral, gmail.com email address. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Come on, listeners, do better. Yeah. I was hoping that we would have a whole bunch of emails just streaming in saying, oh, we miss you, it's been so long. And the only email that we received at the end of August, I think it's fair to call it spam. Because it was someone basically saying, hey, we can get you a lot more traffic on your on your podcast, do you want to hop onto a Zoom and we can chat about it? It's like, no, you don't know us. I'm looking in the mailbox right now, and 20 hours ago, we got one saying, this person wants to explore a potential collaboration that could be mutually beneficial for both of our businesses. Chris, do you want to mutually benefit our businesses? Wouldn't. Yeah. Sign yeah. me up. Okay, totally. Anyways, I like going through my spam folder. I like finding things in the spam folder that might not actually be spam. Most of it is, but sometimes you get lucky. And so our next topic is called not spam. I thought it was potential spam. Potential spam? Well, we can name it whatever. I say not spam. (laughs) They mean I cannot talk about spam then? Okay, the next topic is potential spam. This podcast has been labeled as potential spam. There we are. So you don't know. You don't know if it's spam or not. You never know until you make it to the end of the episode to see what we
1: talk about. Fantastic. All right, Evan. Thank you very much.
0: It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. Let's do this again. Uh, yeah, how do we end the show again? I can't remember. Well, our swanky new music probably will start rolling.
1: And then we'll say, I'm Chris. And I'm Evan. And this has been Opposite of Neutral.
0: So long, everybody.